the Bible Study Podcast, episode 266. Today, the Bible Study Podcast starts a study on the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I mentioned last week we're going to start a study on the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God is like, and we're specifically looking in the New Testament. And the first reference we find as we look through the New Testament is Matthew 12. And this is an interesting thing because Jesus mentions the phrase kingdom of God when he is accused of being the devil. This is Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand." If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house." So the interesting thing about this section here, remember we're looking at this particular passage trying to get some meaning on the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we understand from this passage is that that there is more than just the kingdom of God. There is also the kingdom of Satan. Because he talks about every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan drives out Satan, how can his kingdom stand? That Satan has a kingdom, but if Satan is driven out, it is by something stronger. It is by someone stronger. It is by the power of God. And that if Jesus is driving out demons by the Spirit of God, then this other thing, this new kingdom, has come upon you. So there is a real sense in this particular passage of one versus the other, one kingdom versus the other kingdom. Now, what does that mean? So kingdom, obviously, is a phrase that we're going to be looking at here, and a kingdom has a king. And we are in a democratic nation, or most of you who are hearing the sound of my voice are in a democratic nation with elected officials. But obviously, a king is not elected. A king is, in the Middle Ages, a king by God's decree. But basically, in Jesus' time, a king is a king. A king has the power to become king, either inherited or taken, but the king's rule is absolute. Constitutional monarchies are not yet known in this time. And so the idea here is that there is one kingdom, there is one place where the rule of Satan exists, and that there is another where the rule of God exists, that there are two opposing kingdoms, and that both of them can be here, right? That we're not talking about heaven and hell because both of these times, because we're talking about in this place, there is a demon. There, in this place, there's a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute, and he is transferred from one kingdom to another. He is freed. As I talked about recently from the Colossians 1 verse, he is rescued from the dominion of darkness. He's brought out from under the authority and the power of the devil, 
and brought into the freedom of this other place, of this other kingdom, the kingdom of God. So I think the big thing to learn here is that there is opposition, that there are two kingdoms, and that the other is that God's kingdom is stronger. That if Jesus is having victory over Satan, it is not because he is using the power of Satan as he was being accused of here, but because the power of God is more powerful than the power of Satan. The second reference to the kingdom of God comes from Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So if we look at this story, this is another story about the kingdom of God, but it's in a different context, obviously. And the context here is this rich ruler. And this rich ruler who comes to Jesus, not sure If he was going to get eternal life, he's saying, what should I do? What do I need to earn this? What do I need to enter in this in? And he has this interesting conversation with Jesus about the commandments. And Jesus comes back to him and says, just keep the commandments. I like his question. It's an interesting question. It's which ones. And I think that this is an approach that we take sometimes. Because why do you ask which ones you need to follow? The reason you ask it, I think, is because you're asking, which ones do I not need to follow? Which ones can I slide by on? Which ones can I skate by and and do as little work as possible? And so Jesus starts and he names the commandments. He names commandments and then he names one of the overriding principles. So he says, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. And the man says, well, great, because I've done those. But he says, but he asks a great question, which is, what do I still lack? Now, I wonder why this man didn't at this point say, great, terrific, thanks very much, and leave. I get the impression from the fact that he came to Jesus at all, that there was something gnawing at him. There was something that was discontented. He, this is not a man who was confident that he was getting eternal life, right? It's a man who is coming with a question. And he, Jesus gave him kind of half of the law and said, obey these. And he said, great, I do those, but what do I still lack? Well, what he still lacks is the other half of the law, the other half of the Ten Commandments. You notice that Jesus skipped over 
that I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And all of those things about coveting. Well, that is related to the problem that this young man has. What this young man has is something else in his life that has become more important than God. Or at least it seems to be because Jesus says, no problem. I know you have a lot of wealth. Just give it up. Jesus didn't say that when he came upon the road to Matthew. He said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew did end up giving back a lot of money. But he says it to this young man. He says, one thing that you lack, you're really close. Just take all your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And our understanding or my understanding of why he says this is that with this man, what's keeping him out of the kingdom of heaven is all of this stuff. All of this stuff, and then when he looks at his neighbors, he still wants more stuff. Now, I don't know why we don't talk about this passage in our society more often, because of all of the sins that we may encounter, this is a particularly American sin. Now, I'm not saying that others don't have it or that Americans don't fall prone to other sins, but this is countercultural to our society. We certainly look at those who have the most toys, those who have the most stuff, and we want to be like them. While we might respect somebody who sells everything they have and gives it to the poor, a Mother Teresa or someone like that, we certainly don't usually want to be like them. And similarly, in this society, the disciples have the understanding that someone who is rich is rich because God has blessed them. Think of the story of Job. When everything is taken away from Job, the question is, why did God curse you? What did you do wrong? Because the idea is, the understanding is, that if you do everything right, that God will bless you with stuff. He'll bless you with other things too, but he'll bless you with stuff. And so as they hear that this rich young ruler can't be saved, their first thought is, then who? Good grief, We thought this guy would be easy. Look how God has blessed him. He must be a righteous man. And Jesus says, well, you know, it may be impossible for a camel to get through an eye of a needle, but even impossible things are possible with God. Even rich men can get into heaven. But, of course, this is very countercultural to them because they're thinking rich men are the front of the line. The rich men are blessed by God. But I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. You can't serve both God and money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, we read in the Bible. That this man was outside of the kingdom of God. So a couple things we learn from this. One is there's the kingdom of God and there is an inside and there is an outside. Isn't that something that it's implied by this text? It's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. As hard as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's an inside and there is an outside. And some are outside. And that one way we can be outside is if so many other things, if so much other stuff is more important to us than the kingdom of God, than more important to us than God. Because part of what it means to live in a kingdom is to live as the king wishes, to act as the king would have us act. 
and riches being the most important thing is not how God would have us act. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. If you are enjoying the Bible Study Podcast, feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes as it helps people find the show. And thanks so much for listening. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.